Hello and welcome back to the Millennium Pod, a Star Wars podcast by me, Ari. Um, I'm super excited to be coming to you again, uh, like three days after I just released the pod. We're going to call this a bonus episode because I'm supposed to be just focusing on the book of Boba Fett right now. However, as a High Republic stan, uh, I do feel obligated to provide my thoughts on on our most recent uh, adult installment, The Fallen Star. Um, I originally wasn't going to do this, but uh, then I had just like way too many thoughts. And so I was like, you know what? Screw it. Why wouldn't I just put out another episode? Um, give me a chance to really get my words out there. And if anyone's listening, that's that's great, too. It, it it should be pretty self-evident, but this this podcast episode will contain many, 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 many uh, spoilers for The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. So um, if you have not yet read it, I would highly suggest you do. Um, if you're brand new to The High Republic, don't start with this one. Um, go back, read Light of the Jedi first, and, and then follow through. I suggest release order. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, read all the books, including the young reader, like the young, yeah, the young ones. They're fantastic too. Um, but yeah, this book was awesome. So I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't, if you haven't read it yet. So get out of here. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Um, if you're still here, I would assume you have read the book. So let's get to it. <sighs> sigh sigh is my first thought um wow there was there's a lot to unpack in here uh i gotta be honest i have a lot to say but gathering my thoughts and planning what to say was difficult because when i read the book um i read it so fast and pretty much in one sitting i think i read about the first 80 pages the afternoon i got it and then uh had to go away do some stuff and when I got back to it, I think I got back to it around 9 p.m. on Wednesday and just read the rest. So um, it was a whirlwind. There was a lot because I was just eating it up, couldn't couldn't put it down. Um, I didn't really stop to flag quotes or annotate anything. Uh, so I kind of went back through, flipped through to my favorite parts, found some things, pulled some stuff out. But the one thing that I think is a little bit mildly entertaining, I think it's funny, Uh y'all will probably be like okay you're you're not funny lady just shut up and get to the what you actually want to say but the only thing i i flagged in my first read through um was the part uh when pika and joss uh adrian adrian by the way i'm i'm sure i'm pronouncing most of these names wrong so just bear with me but anyway they're helping the vessel crew fix their ship and joss is all upset because he thinks geodes um hitting on his wife and and then uh the quote i flagged is when affy thinks to herself oh great geodes on the prowl again and just that wording like on the prowl talking about a sentient rock is just absolutely hilarious to me. Probably the only funny thing in this book, but um, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. But as you can see, this is why it was a bit difficult uh, to know where to start and what I wanted to say when the only thing out of 350 pages that I took the time <laughs> to, to mark down was that. To further emphasize to y'all how fast I absorbed this book, um, first of all, I'm not usually like a super fast reader, but for some reason this one I was able to just go crazy. Um, but to further emphasize that, I read this book somehow so aggressively that I cracked the binding. Um, and like one of my page, some of my pages are 
potentially going to fall out. And I didn't even know that this was possible with a hardcover book. Um, and like, I didn't throw it or anything. There were parts I wanted to, but I didn't throw it, which is a step up because I did throw the rising storm at the end. Um, but yeah, somehow it's like every time I open it now, it makes this like noise. And I'm like, this is just anyway. So the book is broken a little bit like me after reading it, but that's fine. Okay. This has been more than enough preamble. Let's get into it. Um, first things first, I want to talk about the trio, which is Stellan, Avar, Elzar, um, and how, although yes, Stellan, because he is now one with the cosmic force is like the fallen star. If we're thinking about it in terms of like, it's just one person. Um, but credit to Camilla at Borigua Wookie on TikTok, um, at Camilla Cecile on Twitter, and uh, the host of the most wonderful podcast, Beans of the Galaxy. All will be tagged in the description. Please, please go check her out if you haven't yet. Uh, she's so cool. But anyhow, um, this is credit. This is credit to her because we talked about this together. And she said to me that the trio are all fallen stars in their own way. And I wholeheartedly uh, agree with this. So for starters, Stellan, I mean, okay, yeah, obviously he's the fallen star because he is now gone. Um, but even if he he wasn't the one who died, and, and I did expect one of the three to die, Stellan was definitely the least likely for me. But uh, anyway, uh, plot twist, I guess. Um, even so aside from him dying, whatever. Well, not whatever, because it's really sad, but whatever for for all intents and purposes of what I'm about to say next. He was fallen before this because he was letting his ego and his pride get get the better of him in a very un-Jedi-like way. And this, to me, comes from the fact that, as Orla points out, rest in peace, side note as well, um, he doesn't know himself and who he is and where he is and, and who he is as a Jedi without the Order. And this reminds me, uh, to kind of explain this, I guess, better too, this reminds me of in, in Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a scene where uh, Tony Stark goes to take back the suit, the fancy suit he's given to Peter Parker, because Peter's screwed up. He goes to take it back. He's like, I'm, give, me, give me the suit. And Peter is essentially like, please, I'm, I'm nothing without my suit. And Tony uh, replies, you know, one of his really actually surprisingly good lines, uh, just considering it's Tony Stark, uh, if you are nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And uh, that's like, I remember watching that being like, Ooh, yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'm not going to get into this uh, on a Star Wars podcast, but I mean, Tony might need to take a look in the mirror when he's saying that line. But anyway, it's a really good line. Um, and I think I think that idea of if you're nothing without this thing, then you shouldn't have it kind of applies to Stellan here because he is so caught up on being like the best he can be for the order and for the council that, that he does let pride and ego get in his way. And we see that, you know, in his fight with Avar, um, when he's like, I'm the new marshal of starlight, that, that exchange between both of them just killed me because you know that those words that they say to each other is going to hurt so much because of how like long standing and deep their relationship is. So that just absolutely uh, crushed me. Um, but again, this is showing 
how Selen has fallen because he has put, again, so much into the order and he doesn't know who he is without it. Um, and so I think it's really quite beautiful that, you know, his last line of dialogue that we get, which is depressing because we love Selen Geos, but, um, <laughs> His last line is like, I know who I am. And and to me, I really felt that sense of he's finally realized, you know, who he can be and that he doesn't have to put everything into the order that he and the order are not tied together specifically. I don't know if this is making any sense. It's making sense in my head. But um, I think for so long, he was afraid to look at who he was and who he with like without the Jedi without the order and who he was as a Jedi without the order. Um, because we, we gather from this, this book, especially that he, he doesn't believe that you can like that the Jedi and the order are separable. But I mean, we see with Orla that they are and, and that we can see how that bothers him. And I think it, yeah, it stems from this deep root of he can't see himself as anything but this ordered Jedi. Um, I think it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, the pride and the ego that comes with that is is his downfall. And it's what makes him one of the three fallen stars in this book. So Avar, I would say, is fallen because she grows too obsessed uh, with her quest to like just get Lorna D. And uh, like to the point where, yeah, it's obsessive. And uh Again, not the most Jedi-like thing because it seems that she's just out for vengeance in a way. Like, she doesn't explicitly say that, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting, which obviously isn't isn't a Jedi-like thing. Um, and I think that she is going so hard after Lorna D because she wants to be the hero again. I think she's reaching for that high she had being the hero of Hetzel. And I mean, obviously the Jedi aren't supposed to be doing things for glory and whatnot. Um, but I mean, we're all human. Um, and this is a very human thing where, you know, you get a little bit of glory, fame, whatever. And even if you don't mean to reach for it again, you're like, you're going to subconsciously, I don't blame her for doing this. Um, but I do think that her obsession with Lorna has clouded her judgment. And to an extent, while I don't agree with Stellan's reasons for being a little brat to her, um, I do in a way agree, like, when he's like, you left your your post that the council assigned you. I mean, he's mad because she left her post that the council assigned her. And to him, council and the Jedi and the Order are all one and the same. Um, and so I, that's not the part I agree with. But the part where, um, like, she abandoned this, something that she was given responsibility of, to go pursue this other thing. Uh, which, I mean, obviously, like, it's not bad to have multiple pursuits, but... It's that obsessive, like, nothing else matters. When really, I think if she took a step back, she could have potentially realized, you know, no, I'd be more useful here. Um, but then again, obviously, it's good that she wasn't on Starlight Beacon, because who knows what would have happened to her. Uh, but yeah, that's why I would say that she, in this case, is fallen as well, because she's letting, uh, really, emotions cloud her judgment. And while I do appreciate that the High Republic allows its Jedi to actually feel things um, and work through it, I do think she's letting it get the best of her in this situation. Um, and I'm excited to see 
I wish we could have had a bit more of her in this book. That would be, I don't have many complaints about this book and I'm not really going to talk about them because I would rather talk about positive things and things I appreciated. But that would be one of my complaints is that we didn't get very much Avar. And I think she's a really cool character. Um, and I'm really glad she wasn't the one who died. Um, well, I wish none of them would have died, but, um, I would have liked to have a little bit more of her and get a little bit more insight into her. But I mean, I'm sure we'll get more eventually. Finally, Elzar, the most like obvious one, you know, his darkness. Um, this is obviously fallen because, you know, he was doing well. Um, and I wonder if Orla hadn't have been husked, if he would have still gone off the deep end. I, I tend to think so. Um, but it, it's an interesting conversation to have, um, to, to wonder about, but I think Elzar, you know, tapping into to the darkness at the end of the book is, is especially sad because, um, right at the beginning, Stellan talks about how Elzar is taking some time to strengthen his ties to the force and he's connecting with the greater Jedi he may yet become, um, which makes it extra sad because it's just like he was doing well and he had people believing in him um, and he still fell. And it's interesting to see him like dealing with the aftermath of it in his head. He's just like, oh my gosh, like what am I doing? Um, and I'm really excited to see like where we go with this. And I'm excited to see like how, if, and when he tells Avar about this. Um, cause obviously, you know, right at the end, he, he decides not to tell her immediately. Cause you know, they're dealing with still the aftermath of Starlight Beacon crashing into I, I, Irem. That's how I've been pronouncing the planet. Could be wrong. Uh, I've been pronouncing it Nihil instead of Nile. So, you know, I'm not the authority on pronunciations, but I'm going with Iram. And so anyhow, uh, he decides not to mention it right then because they're dealing with that, obviously Stellan. Um, but I'm in, I'm really excited to see like what happens. And I really hope we revisit this. Obviously, uh, phase two is going 150 years in the past, which I'm excited about for a whole variety of reasons. But um, I, I do... I am excited to see this uh, Elzar situation and what happens. The part that uh, made me like cry the most in this book is right at the end um, when uh, the droid that Elzar gifted Stellan comes back and gives uh, Elzar Stellan's lightsaber. And I just, I think, I think this will help Elzar um, or at least motivate him to like you know continue in his quest to fight this darkness because we've we've seen like he wants to get help it's not like he likes the dark side he's afraid um and i think having stellan's lightsaber will help him because stellan believed in him and elzar knew that stellan believed in him and so to me that was kind of like stellan's final way of saying to elzar like i believe in you i believe you can combat this you can be better than this and um so sad oh my gosh <laughs> but that's that's just it the last thing i want to mention for now about this trio is um avar x elzar um so far it seemed very much one-sided to me uh elzar was the one pining for avar but she had kind of moved on um which is fine still very interesting story but on page 74, if you want to look it up for yourself, um, we get confirmation that she wishes that, 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 that she's, you know, kind of 
pining as well, although she's better at pushing it away, I think. Um, but she's basically like, she wishes Elzart was there going like with her going after Lorna D, uh, because they always work so well together. And then the next line is, but that was the whole problem, wasn't it? So to me, this is her acknowledging, you know, that she has and still does have feelings for him, uh, that are deeper than just friendship. Um, but that, that this is a problem. And so I hope I'm excited. I hope and I'm excited for us to get back to these two because this Jedi angst is really, really good. So now I want to talk about Orla. I'm super, super sad that she is gone because she was so cool. Um, but I do think, well, I'm a little bit annoyed. Well, no, I don't know how to say this. I think it was really interesting to see her so willing to help out on Starlight, um, because it is very much tied to the order and she's very much not tied to the order. And I think it definitely helped Stellan to realize that Jedi does not have to equal strictly the order, um, which is obviously something that, as I said previously, he's struggled with, is struggling with. Um, and so I feel like she could have, you know, served this purpose to, to help him without having to die. But, um, I really appreciated her character here and yeah, she's very cool. I miss her already. My toxic trait is that I think that all these people that got husked are going to come back. I've been thinking Loden's going to come back this whole time. Um, but they won't. And I know that. Or do I? Dun, dun, dun. No. Um, okay. I can't keep talking about the husked people because it's so depressing, even though I'm about to talk to them some more as I go on to talk about Bell. Poor Bell Zedifar. Why do the authors hate him? so much um Loden like was my favorite High Republic character for a long time so naturally um as good as the Rising Storm is I will never I will never admit that I actually enjoyed it except I just did um <laughs> because of the end I actually threw that book across my room its spine didn't crack ironically but um I'm very upset I'm still upset I miss him so much. Uh, sometimes I feel like I miss him more than Belle. No, I'm just kidding. Belle misses him a lot. Um, but the way that he misses him and the way that he carries on his legacy is just so incredibly beautiful to me. Uh, the part, it's um, page 38 and page 39 when he's thinking about how, you know, he should have tried to, he should have not believed he was actually gone the first time um, after he got taken at Elfrona um, and that he could have done something, should have done something, but he can't anymore in the past is the past. And it's really great. Um, but the part where it says like Bell would bear this burden, the burden obviously of wishing he could have done something for Loden, as long as he cherished the memory of Loden Greatstorm, that meant he would bear it always. Uh, I'm so sad. Um, but also I love that Loden's legacy, as I said, is, is continuing to live on. And the fact that, um, Bell is letting his emotions and his sadness guide him to do good things. Uh, that's one thing I really like about the High Republic is they don't tell you to just squash your emotions. They're like, 
recognize them and then recognize what you can do about them. And for Bell, that is, um, as he says right away in the very beginning when they're uh, doing their little raid on the Nile, not in the hill, whatever, um, ship. And he's like, it, it says, finally, action, a chance to move on the Nile. Bell had wanted this, needed it ever since the loss of his former master, Loden Greatstorm. Not for vengeance. Greatstorm would have never wanted that. From the knowledge that Bell had done something, anything, to counteract the evil that has robbed that had robbed his master of his life. <gasps> this quote is so good. It's so good. Like the fact that he's taking his emotions and his grief, but he's he's using that to fuel something good, you know, not vengeance, something good to take action towards the light, to bring more light to the galaxy. Uh, it's just, and it reminds me of my favorite quote of all time from one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time, Qui-Gon Jinn, when, uh, a disgraced, this, this quote is found in Master and Apprentice, um, also by Claudia Gray, ironically. Um, Qui-Gon is talking to a disgraced jedi and the jedi is kind of like why do you continue to fight when you know you're gonna lose um they're talking about the prophecy and how uh anakin well they don't know it's anakin but how there's gonna be a chosen one bring balance etc etc but basically that the light can never fully win if the prophecy says that there's going to be balance and anyway qui-gon replies to that it matters which side we choose even if there will never be more light than darkness even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy than there is pain for every action we undertake for every word we speak for every life we touch it matters i don't turn toward the light because it means someday i'll win some sort of cosmic game i turn toward it because it is the light and if that isn't what Bell Zenifar is doing uh, when he talks about how he's going to take action to counteract the evil that the Nile are raging across the galaxy. You know what? Uh, and, 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 and you just know that Bell has this feeling um, because of what he's been taught, what's been instilled in him from Loden. And uh, the second I met Loden, I was like, that's Qui-Gon Jinn in Twi'lek form. So um, when I read that, I was like, ah, felt so validated <laughs> because that's been my headcanon for so long. But um, anyway, Stan, Qui-Gon, and Loden, uh, both taken from us far too soon. Um, and I'm getting off topic now, and this is not going to turn into a Qui-Gon love podcast. I still need to make a Qui-Gon love episode at some point, but it is not for today. Um, but yeah, going back to how the authors clearly hate Bell because he lost Loden. He may or may not have lost Indira. It's still unclear. Um, and uh, he may or may not have lost his best friend. Unclear. Um, I know that it should seem like Burry is gone, but I, like Bell, uh, am refusing to believe it. And I love his hope that even after all the bad things have happened, Bell is still like, nope, I gotta look for my friend. Um, and I really, I, I truly am hoping that since uh, it was mentioned several times that Bell thinks that Bury is not gone, uh, that, that, that's foreshadowing and that he really isn't gone and that when, 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 when we're manifesting, so when Bell and Buryaga are reunited, uh, Burry can cash in on his his deal with Bell that Bell was going to take him out for a Wookiee sized dinner at the best restaurant in Coruscant. Um, 
And I also just, from a, like a storytelling point of view, hope that Bury is okay because I think it'd be really interesting to see how he uh, deals with being part of the Young Men's Club of Lost Masters TM. Um, because I think we've kind of seen, I mean, we've seen how Bell is dealing with it. And then we see Wreath Silas is dealing with losing his master in a different way. And we see Imri dealing with losing his master in a different way. Um, and I think Burry would have a, a, yet a different way of dealing with it. Um, that would be equally as, as interesting and good to see. So selfishly, like for my own personal, I want to see this specific storyline. I also hope he is, he is still alive. As a side note, I predicted that Nip was going to die, and I resent that I was right. Um, but the reason I thought uh, she was going to die was because in light of the Jedi, the trio of like senior Jedi that are working together uh, is Tiami, Tiami, I don't know, Mikkel and Nib, they're all fighting on Hitzel to save everybody. And Tiami dies in Light of the Jedi. Mikkel dies in Real Rising Storm. So I was like, well, farewell, Nib. It's been nice knowing you. Um, and I was right, which again, I resent. But as I said earlier, my toxic trait is believing that the husked Jedi are going to come back somehow. So um, she's not really gone. Okay, this is getting to be uh, longer than I expected, and um, but that's okay because I I'm almost I almost have uh, my main thoughts out here. Um, the last main thing that I want to say is that I think it's really quite beautiful that the Queen of Aram 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 I don't know um, <laughs> decided not to shoot down Starlight um, because she had that much hope in the Jedi. And I think that that shows that despite Markian, Markian Rose, uh, again, it's unclear how we're supposed to pronounce that, but I'm going with Markian because I think it sounds the best. Um, despite his, the eyes, uh, best efforts, uh, the light of the Jedi is still not out. Um, the quote, this quote comes from page 308, where Queen Dima says it would have, well, she doesn't say it, she thinks, maybe she does say it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It would have been far worse to lose the very soul of their world, all in the name of safety. The very soul of their world. They still believe that the Jedi are good and are the light or the soul uh, of everything and that they aren't worth sacrificing preemptively and I, I just think that's really nice because yeah Markian's trying to squash them out but but he can't and he thinks he's won we know that from the epilogue but he hasn't and I think that this quote from I mean yeah she's a queen but in general the ordinary people shows that there's still faith there's still hope in the Jedi and I just it's, it's so good okay I said that was the last thing, but I'm realizing now that I forgot when I was talking about the trio to talk about Stellan's perspective of the Force. So I'm going to do that right now. Um, we finally got it. We know that Avar's is the song. Elzar's is like the ocean or the raging water, whatever. Um, and now Stellan's is the stars. And I think I like Stellan's interpretation the most. That's the one that resonates with me the most. Um, but they're all absolutely incredible. I just, I, one thing I really love about the High Republic is that we get to see all these different interpretations of the Force. And I think that's just so, so beautiful. Um, and it gives so much more depth to the Force. Um, it's just, it's so good. But anyhow, uh, Stellan's interpretation of the Force is just gorgeous.
gorgeous, gorgeous girls love Stone's interpretation of the Force. No. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I love how he says, the Force shone forth from them all, illuminating the vast dark. So first of all, I love that because it shows that the Force is, is in his perspective, used for the light and should be used for light, which I mean, I agree with. Dark side of the Force is scary. Um, but second to that, Continuing on from that quote, so the fork shone forth from the mall, illuminating the vast dark. If Stellan had, but if Stellan but had the ability to perceive every living being, it would have the same effect as being able to see every star in the universe at once. Total, pure, all-encompassing light. I just love that because it just reiterates that we are all luminous beings, and we all have a light to give to the world, to universe. Um, it's just. Claudia, why you gotta do me like this? Now I'm thinking about how I'm a shining light and and I matter because I'm a star that lights up the universe. Um I sound like I'm crying, but I'm not. I'm just like okay, I'm I am like okay, enough, enough of that. But I do love Stellan's interpretation of the force. Um and that the trio is a constellation and yeah. It's just so nice. Anyway, um, this was a lot longer than I expected. I truly thought I was going to talk on here for like 12 minutes, but uh, it's been more than double that. Um, so anyway, obviously I liked this book, seeing as I've just talked about it for almost half an hour. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh, I cannot believe I almost signed off without talking about the the Vessel crew. Um, hello. Um <laughs> This is, you know, this is why this is a lesson to me and potentially to people listening. This is why you you don't write your show notes at midnight and then not look at them the next day before recording because there's a lot of good stuff in there, but they are a organizational disaster. Um, so anyhow, I guess, welcome to the raw and chaos of Ari's brain. Doesn't matter. Um, this is the last Yes, the last, I swear, this is the last thing um, I need to talk about. And um, I don't even have much to say about the Vessel crew, other than uh, I'm really happy they were in this book. Uh, one reason was because of the comic relief that Geode provided. Um, but the other reason is that I, I, I have always said this. I love stories about the people that aren't the Jedi and how they're interacting in this force world. And so I just appreciated being able to see non-force sensitive people during the disaster um, and gain a glimpse of what that was. Cause you know, a big part of the disaster is the force and like, what's wrong with the force on starlight? Oh, I didn't talk about this either. Um, what's wrong with the force on starlight? Uh, <laughs> um, and that, that is a big focus of the book. And I think it's important, obviously, but I think it's interesting, you know, to see how the normal people are dealing with this when they don't have this impending sense of dread from the force. I mean, they probably have an impending sense of dread because, you know, they're on a space station that's falling into the atmosphere of a planet. But um, I just think it gives an interesting perspective and it kind of fleshes out the story as a whole more. And I also think it's important, like it's an important reminder that Starlight Beacon, while, you know, largely operated by the Jedi, wasn't just, it's not just a Jedi thing. It is a Republic thing. And we are all the Republic, uh, to quote Lena. So um, no, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate seeing them more and seeing their dynamic and getting um, to see like, 
Affy a little bit more grown up, I think, um, um, from Into the Dark, which I think is really cool. Uh, I assume they'll show up again because they were a fairly large part of this book. Um, I will say, when I thought that Leox had died, I nearly threw the book. I really did. But I was also on like a mission to finish it, and I knew that that would waste time. Um, really glad he didn't because, Claudia, that would have been the final straw. And there was a lot of final straws. So, um, yeah, I'm glad that that reunion happened. It was like a slight, slight silver lining on, on the whole book. But, um, yeah, that's all I, that's all I want to say about them. But I did think it was important to, to acknowledge that they existed. Um, anyhow, it's now been over 30 minutes that I've been talking about this book. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, I guess, as I've been like, trying not to cry this whole time. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a lot of, well, it hasn't been, well, yeah, it's been fun to an extent, sort of type two fun, maybe, I don't know. Um, regardless talking about this book. So I appreciate anybody who's out there listening. Um, and if you, if you're still with me, listening to me talk to myself for 30 minutes, that's pretty wild. But uh, anyway, I digress. Um, as always, please feel free to reach out to me on social media um, at re.in.space on TikTok or at millenniumpod underscore on Twitter and Instagram. If you've read this book and you're like me, you just need someone to talk to, I would love to be that person for you. Uh, definitely more I can say. If I said something on here that you like disagree with, uh, as long as you're nice about it, I would love to hear you know your perspective. Um, Cause this is such a cool era and such a cool book and I love talking to people about it. Anyhow, um, as always, uh, I hope you're having a great day, night, morning, evening, whatever it is, wherever you are listening and, uh, may the force be with you.